0: That music felt like, uh, it was like a prelude to taking some kind of (laughs) Kool-Aid. It's just a little little frightening. (laughs) Uh, So for for those of you who are new to spirit rock, uh, uh, spirit rock is not a a cult. (laughs) It's a You're free to, to go anytime you want. In <laughs> um, fact, that is one of the things that people are sometimes nervous about that you're entering into some kind of uh, religion. And the Buddha, I always remind people right at the very beginning of any kind of practice period that the Buddha was not a Buddhist. The Buddha was a human like each of us who. Who felt uh, a restless or restless heart and mind, and uh, uh, had some confusion, had some dissatisfaction? Do you relate to either of those? Uh, Was subject to the same conditions that all of us are. You know, those who are born. um, The definition of birth is the leading cause of of uh, sickness, old age, death, not getting what you want, not wanting what you get. So he was he was part of the same tribe, really, and just figured out a way to cope with it, on one hand, but not only cope with it, but discover that uh, within himself uh, was, a, um, was an unshakable capacity for, for peace. Not that the world necessarily became more peaceful, but he uh, came to a place of peace with the world, and that's really, in some way, that peace... I know I'm launching in more than I expected to already, but that peace is really our natural state. Peace is not something that you become, you don't become peaceful. Peace is what you are uh, when you stop going uh, out in search, when you let your mind come back to your body, when you, in a sense, come home to the present moment. You will discover, and maybe even in this moment, before we even continue with the day, you may discover that, in the moments, in any moment, that you are not uh, looking ahead, or not caught up in looking ahead, and you're not looking back, and you actually know you're here. Don't just you don't just um, take it for granted that you're clearly comprehending that you're sitting here. And when you do that and you don't look back and you don't look ahead and you just sense what it's like to be here, you may discover that your, your body is tired, you may feel weariness in your mind, but if you simply notice that, as the Buddha called it, sampajanya, clearly comprehend, if you clearly comprehend that, in that very moment of noticing, and any moment of noticing, there is, as one teacher put it, a natural peace. Just in the noticing. And part of what stimulates so much uh, lack of peace is the failure to notice, the loss of clear perception of what's happening. And you'll notice when you make that shift again and again today from being lost in wherever you were the residue of having been carried along by some kind of uh, drama or story or memory, or whatever it is, the residue of that may produce a feeling of agitation. But when you wake up, when you notice, oh, here I am again, and you let your mind settle back into your body, which you'll hear more and more today, uh, you'll find that um, without necessarily creating anything, you begin to sense, perhaps, uh, this uh, natural calm. So anyway, I just I just thought I'd say that for a few minutes, and then we'll we've got so much to to do today, but and nothing to do really. <laughs> but it may seem like a lot of work because our habit is so uh, strong to um, be compulsive and to be uh, to be. Uh, generating a lot of agitation by what, what we like to call toppling forward, toppling forward into the imagined future. Often our whole sense of well-being uh, associated with what's next. You're probably even feeling a little anticipation of the day. How many of you are feeling anticipation? And that probably produces a little bit of uh, nervousness, the, I- the good news in meditation practice is we use that anticipation. We notice, oh, this is what anticipation feels like. And the very thing that when we don't notice it l- takes us out of the sense of harmony with the present moment, the very thing that makes us go unconscious, really, and become quite restless and agitated, the very feeling of anticipation becomes our way to be here, our way back to calm. <laughs> So we are all obsessed with what's next and it's natural to look forward to things and there's often pleasure associated with looking forward to things. But in that process of having our well-being associated so much with what's next, we miss the only, the only place that life exists, which is in this very moment that you're sitting. Everything else about your life right now is imaginary. This is the totality of your life is sitting here, for better or for worse. <laughs> this is how it is. And it's so easy to miss the only life we have while we're, as John Lennon put it, while we're busy making other plans. So this is just a day to come back to yourself, come home to the present moment, the only moment there is. Future is unborn, and the past is gone. There's really only us sitting together today. So this is an opportunity to embrace your life, to embrace the life of the present moment. And that doesn't mean that it all becomes beautiful and pleasurable, but it means that we learn to navigate, to meet our life pleasant and unpleasant with a little bit less reactivity and a little bit less demand that it be different than the way it is, at least for the moment. We may discover, though, as we accept and open to our life in the present moment, that um, we may have all kinds of insights that, that pop up. In fact, all we're doing in one way is creating the conditions for our natural intelligence to start to work on our our system. You know what I mean by that? We all have intuition, we all have we all are really quite uh, brilliant, but we, but we tend to not notice what's going on, and so then we don't know what to do for ourselves. So this is just an opportunity to accept our condition the way it is, and then really see what's needed. And you may discover, wow, and what a lot of people discover on a day of practice is, I am exhausted. I am absolutely exhausted. I've been living on mental, mental speed and I've completely neglected this physical body that is just crying out for attention. Or you may realize, I am so hard on myself. Every other thought is, you idiot, get busy. You're not doing enough. You're not enough. You need to be different than the way you are. Any of you ever have that one? And this insight, this simple little insight into what your mind is doing, becomes the cause of, of beginning to change things, if it's necessary. Whenever I realize that, um, this is, it comes down to as simple as, if I realize I'm holding my breath, do I keep holding it? Nobody has to tell me to take a deep breath. Quite naturally, my body begins to breathe easy again, take a deep breath, but not because uh, not because I should. It's because that's the natural result of seeing clearly. So that's what we're trying to get a, a clear picture of our life, a clear picture of the present moment, and then respond to it in the most, hopefully the most loving way possible. Uh, I think one of the biggest insights people have is how how hard we are on ourselves. So I'm hoping that as you pa- practice paying attention today, practice what we call uh, sati or mindful attention with clear comprehension, mindfulness, that you practice it imbued with with kindness. That these two, you can call them the two wings of of um, of the practice, are the wings of wisdom and the wings of compassion or or love, and the w- Wisdom or just seeing things without love, is, it's very dry, cold. Uh, thing, seeing things just through the lens of love without wisdom often leads to excessive sentimentality and, and uh, attachment, you know, a lot of clinging. So seeing with wisdom and love allows us to meet life with, with a sense of awe, with a sense of openness, uh, but also a sense of tenderness uh, and clarity. So I think because there may be a few more people trickling in as we uh, as we go along, uh, let's. I think we'll spend a few minutes right now just settling in here into this moment. Hopefully, maybe these words brought you here a little bit. And I won't really say much different. I'll just repeat many of the same things throughout the day. But uh, but hopefully you. You feel a little bit more here in the room now. It's natural to feel the residue of your life, and so just use it all. We call this practice equal opportunity mindfulness. Everything that you can notice is what we pay attention to. Everything. So there's nothing that can go wrong here, um, as long as you notice it. In order for us to notice we have to orient ourselves, reorient ourselves to the life of the present moment. And the the most reliable way and the way that the Buddha recommended, and this has now gone on for 2,500 years, is to first and foremost, and as our primary anchor, to put our mind, our attention that's often scattered, to put it in our body. So to do this, you want to, if you can, find a comfortable posture. One that's fairly upright, yet relaxed. And ideally, if you're sitting on a chair, that your back is free. But if you have to have your back against the back of the chair, that's fine. But make sure that your feet are touching the ground, and those who are sitting on the cushions, your knees are touching or supported, your rear, so you're touching in three different places. and You may want to shift from side to side or front to back till you find a center point where it's most effortless to sit. After we sit I'll introduce myself, (laughs) but for now let your eyes close softly. <coughs> Be generally aware of the sitting body. This is what it feels like to sit. And then draw your attention to the, the felt experience of the contact of your rear on the cushion or the chair. So just feeling that that point of contact, and let everything drop to that point. Let all your stress drop to the floor, drop to the cushion. And just feel the heaviness or the pressure, the hardness of the tush as it touches the cush, And then feel the gentle touch of your hands whether they're touching each other or touching your legs. Just feel that experience of the touching. Then feel the touch of the lips, soft touch of the eyes. Make sure you relax the eyes because our, our noticing will not be with our eyes today. It'll be with our whole being. Attention is not in the eyes. So relax the jaw, relax the belly. Or if relax isn't a useful word for you, try soften. Soften the jaw, soften the belly. And then feel the gentle stillness of the sitting body. Feel its pulse, its vibration, its aliveness. You might get a little sneak preview of the something we'll talk about later. Feel the, the feeling tone that's associated with your sitting body. Is it pleasant or unpleasant? See, it's often when it, we feel it is unpleasant that our attention tends to escape. And so what we want to learn to do is accommodate the unpleasant, if it's unpleasant. Just notice that, stillness, vibration, the pulse of the body. And then if you're able to, just notice the feeling that gets created in your body as it breathes. just notice how your chest or your belly gently rises and falls or may feel the effects of the air as it passes through your nostrils or upper lip. Just feel the gentle expansion and contraction of the whole body. Just sense how the body is breathing quite naturally. Try not to interfere. Try not to control or direct your breath. Just let your body breathe and notice it. See if you're, you can connect with the beginning through the duration of your body breathing in, beginning, middle end of the out-breath. Just one breath at a time, not to worry about the next one or the one that happened before, just this breath. This was the first teaching that the Buddha offered in terms of calming the restless mind is mindfulness of breathing the initial tool and as much as possible We try to sustain our awareness of the the breath, to remain as undistracted as possible, clearly comprehending that we're breathing. If we notice it, we're actually mindful. If we don't notice it, we're not being mindful. So when you realize that you've been lost in thought or haven't been mindful, this is actually a a new moment of mindfulness. So when you realize that you've wandered, appreciate that you've reawakened, you're here again. And in behalf of staying here, we connect again with our breath that simple. No judgment, not personal. Just encouraging this mindful attention to the body's breath. Just this breath, just this moment. Mind soft and alert. Attention, gentle, kind, but precise. Intimately feeling the texture of this breath. It doesn't matter how many times your attention drifts into imagined past or future and fantasy. Each time you notice this is a moment of mindful attention. It's a moment of coming home. And in behalf of staying home, staying here, we connect again with our body and our breath again and again. Putting the puppy gently back on the paper. No judgment. Sweetness. Acceptance. Our minds are untrained and so they need a gentle, persistent reminder to be here. Just this breath. Just this moment. Just a few more minutes in this round. Intimately feel the breath. This uh, short period was just a warm-up to help us put our mind in the same location as our body. Uh, You've probably all heard of the character in one of James Joyce's books, uh, Mr. Duffy, who is said to have lived a few feet from his body. And I think it speaks to the, one of the effects of, of our modern life and And just the the human tendency to uh, become disembodied and disconnected from the present moment. Uh, So I feel I'm glad we're all here. I'm thrilled to be with you today. I've looked forward to this. Um, I'm those of you who may not know me. uh, My name is Howard Cohn. Most people call me Howie. It doesn't really matter to me. I'm one of the original. As we call ourselves spirit rockers. No, just kidding. <laughs> Original spirit rock teachers. I've uh, been leading groups and classes and retreats uh, for about 27 years. I've spent years of my own life uh, cumulatively in silence, just paying attention. Became quite interested at a young age in how my, and I think because I was dissatisfied and confused and Perpetually in an existential <laughs> crisis, <laughs> I I started studying uh, f- how my mind worked, and mm-hmm. and that led to just continued fascination with with what uh, makes us tick, and just led me to do longer and longer practice periods. And I'm not suggesting that all of you uh, will or should. There's every person's practice looks quite differently, but it. Um, it led me to a, a feeling of, of what I'll call a cessation, of falling away, of needing to be anywhere else or be anyone different, and a, a sense of coming home uh, to what was always and already here, but uh, I had been missing what some call the open secret, that each of us is who we are looking for, and that uh, all the searching and all the wandering here and there uh, cannot improve on the, the very nature of your own heart and mind here and now. And that all, all of the practice is, instead of it being adding something or becoming something, it's more of a, as Thich Han put it, it's more about reclaiming our heritage. He says, you who are the richest person on earth, who've been going around begging for a living, Stop being the destitute child. Come home. Reclaim your heritage. And we've already begun that process today. And hopefully you wouldn't be here if you hadn't begun that process already. That n- somehow knowing that the wisdom that understands that, that peace is not something that's, um, that you can uh, become. It's, it's, um, it's an inside job. It's something that, you, that is really the, the nature of your heart. Um, unfortunately, we all... Have uh, a mixture of what the Buddha called the three poisons: greed, mm-hmm. hatred, and delusion or ignorance. And so, because of these, because of these three so-called poisons or three root causes of suffering, just part of the human psyche, we have uh, wandered a long time confused, and we've developed some serious habits. And just to normalize our own condition, I, I like to, as a ritual, share the words of Amy Krauss Rosenthal, who speaks to what one of our chronic, uh, how can I say this, chronic identities that we, we tend to misidentify ourselves with at our, at our great expense. And that's the, uh, the identity of busy. She calls this, in this editorial, it's entitled, Sweet Nothing. How have you been? Busy. How's work? Busy. How was your week? Good. Busy. You name the question, busy's the answer. Yes, yes, I know we're all terribly busy doing terribly important things. But I think more often than not, busy is simply the most acceptable, knee-jerk response. Certainly there are more interesting or more original and accurate ways to answer the question, How are you? I'm hungry for a burrito. I'm envious of my best friend. I'm frustrated by everything that's broken in my home. I'm itchy. Yet, busy stands alone as the easiest way of summarizing all that you do and all that you are. I'm busy is the short way of saying, implying, my time is filled, my phone does not stop ringing, and you, therefore, should think well of me. Mm -hmm. Have people always been this busy? Did cavemen think they were busy too? (laughs) This week is crazy. I've got about 10 caves to draw on. (laughs) Can I meet you by the fire next week? (laughs) I have a hunch that there is a direct correlation between the advent of coffee bars and the increase of busyness. Let's look at us. We're all pros now at hailing calves, making Xeroxes, carpooling, performing surgery with a to-go cup in hand. We're skittering about like hyperactive gerbils, high not just on caffeine, but on caffeine's luscious byproduct, productivity. Ah, the joy of doing, accomplishing, crossing off. As kids, our stock answered almost every question, What did you do at school today? What's new? Was nothing. (laughs) In our country's history, there have been exactly seven kids who responded with a statement other than nothing. (laughs) Then, somewhere on the way to adulthood, we each took a 180-degree turn. We cashed in our nothing for busy. I'm starting to think that, like youth, the word nothing is wasted on the young. Maybe we should try reintroducing it into our grown-up vernacular. Nothing. I say I say it a few times and I can feel myself becoming more quiet, decaffeinated, zenish. <laughs> nothing. Now I'm picturing emptiness, a white blanket, a couple of ducks gliding on a still pond. Nothing, nothing, nothing. How did we get so far away from it? <laughs> so clearly we're not just doing nothing here. It's uh but it's our um our whatever doing that we engage in is is, uh, to discover that to truly be happy we need nothing. That all search for happiness through our busyness and through everything we're trying to accumulate leads to more misery. That the only happiness worth that name is the happiness of, of conscious being. I like to Cha- I've challenged myself through the years to uh, I've reflected on this passage from from Thoreau and I thought it was Walt Whitman for f- the first 16 years <laughs> but then it turned out I found somebody f- did some research and found that th- this was a passage from Thoreau to a letter to Walt Whitman but he said in this letter I'm grateful for what I am and what I have my thanksgiving is perpetual It's surprising how contented one can be with nothing definite, only a sense of existence. Oh how I laugh at my vague indefinite riches, for no run on my bank can drain it, for my wealth is not possession but enjoyment of being." Um, How did we get so far away from that? Hopefully, the practice today and just your practice in general, if you engage in it, will help you reclaim that sense of uh, of contentment and uh, gratitude, which is really the, the natural expression of a of a heart that's at ease. I've been leading, as I mentioned, I've been leading retreats for a long time, and. And one of the um, amazing things in watching what happens, especially on residential retreats, you see it a little bit on on daylongs as well. But on residential retreats, people come to the retreat all contracted and, and with the effects of the, the mantra of, of busyness, and the eyes are somewhat dulled and the body's tight and and all of a sudden there is there's this uh, there's light that begins to f- to come to people's eyes and hearts become so tender and we realize if you if you hang out with yourself long enough you realize that uh, tenderness is a good thing that high, getting tight and defended even though we do it very innocently it it actually becomes it's it creates the conditions that spawns so much of our compulsion but as you see people relax you see that every single one of us is beautiful every single one of us has a light and a love and, uh, and people will quite spontaneously one day as they go through the opening process they hate everybody in the room <laughs> on the retreat, find everything wrong with themselves and everyone else and then as the heart softens you see this kind of spontaneous flow of gratitude not because anything in particular but because that's what our hearts do when they're when they're, we're more at home with ourselves. We feel appreciation. We feel uh, responsiveness of our heart. We can join in the good fortune of others. We can, we, uh, our, our hearts are able to break and then respond to people's pain and, and to share in people's joy. And we also develop clarity of perception. And so we become a little less reactive. Not because we added anything, because we softened, we eased, So hopefully you'll you'll touch a little bit of that today. Um, We all want to be happy. And it seems like the deepest, the deepest, um, if we really look at what that means to us, well, the Buddha said that the highest happiness is peace. But if we look deeply at what, what the hidden, just think about everything that you do in your life and what you're, we all have. We are driven by motivation to to get somewhere. Any of you feel that? But we often don't pay attention to what are we actually. What's driving that aim, and what, what is it that we really want? And the cultural message is is um, have more have more experiences, uh, get someplace, become someone. All those things are really part of the natural enjoyment of the world of, sense of the senses. It wouldn't world wouldn't have been made so beautiful if it wasn't to be enjoyed and experienced. But the, the tendency is to get really lost in where we're going and not realize that the real hidden aim in accomplishing everything that I want to accomplish or going every place I want is to be able to say, I did that and then to have what's the feeling you're looking for at the end. Ah, I can relax. I can be at peace. Done is what needed to be done. Well, the Buddhist teaching suggests you don't have to wait for that. Don't wait to be what you are. That peace is your nature. Stay right here. First things first. Realize that the end of the rainbow is you. Right here. And if you realize that, if you, if you realize uh, that um, that staying here, present, is the uh, is the path is both the beginning of the path, the middle of the path, and the end of the path. Then you don't have to. Then you can do all the things that you love to do, but without the ang- extra anxiety and tension that makes that um, that that gets added to what our what our, uh, what our um, experiences are, what our plans are, the anxiety that it has to make us happy, that it has to give us peace. As long as something we do has to give us peace, it actually increases our agitation. So, this is, and that's what the Buddha called Tanha, or craving. The de- uh, sense of well-being that d- depends on what happens. Any of you relate to that? <laughs> so I imagine that you all, to some degree, know that um, that that all the all the um, shopping, all the traveling, all the the relational drama, all the ways that we can enjoy life, but all the ways that we try to make our happiness dependent on these things has led us to feeling less than content. Uh-huh. So I'm happy that you're here. I am curious though, I'm making all kinds of assumptions why you're here. Was it the topic? <laughs> or just a need for a day of sitting? I'm curious if people would say and so I can, I can actually say things that might be relevant to why you're here. Please. Well, the topic was very uh, pertinent to my practice. Very good. So. Mm-hmm. Marvelous. Anyone else? What brings you here today? Topic. Please. You. Oh, me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can elaborate just a, a bit. I always gain really wonderful insights when I sit with you. So mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Now the pressure's on. <laughs> Please. Day of quiet. Okay. And you? And yes, the topic. Anxious. Anxious. A birthday present. Birthday present. What a lovely (laughs) present for yourself. Any last before different, please. Stopping. Stopping. Beautiful. Yeah, that's that is our heart calling ourselves back to ourselves. That give the birthday gift. That's a a gift to to put, uh, put things back in order. It's sad that we get so far disconnected from ourselves. And, and it, unfortunately, the, the way that we come home is by feeling the effects of that. <laughs> but that's one of the, the laws and the teachings. That the, um, is that, and one of the unique things about being a human being is that our difficulties, if we open to them, the difficult mind states, the difficult body states, the difficult even the the difficult inner or outer conditions. When we open to them, they become the cause of our of our um, our well-being. They become the cause of of happiness, of tenderizing our hearts. So hopefully, what tools are offered today will will help um, help you face your life, uh, and perhaps even enjoy it (laughs) and hopefully even enjoy the day we will as most uh, day longs insight meditation day longs go and this will be primarily offering the insight meditation instructions as much as the, the the full general instructions that will hopefully you can carry on in your life but the form will off will be a combination of periods of sitting meditation and walking meditation and how many of you are new to Spirit Rock today? Many. Okay, so many of you have done this before. How about new to meditation? Okay, just a few. Okay, great. So we will alternate periods of sitting and walking, but the, the point of this is to, to remind us that, that mindful attention is portable. It's not something just associated with this formal practice, but it's just the capacity to pay attention in whatever you're doing, Both formal periods and informal periods. And it it is this one little magic factor that we all have as part of our part of our our true nature. Part of our nature. So let's say if I asked you right now to stop being aware and stop trying stop being aware of what's happening here. Stop comprehending what's here. Stop being aware. You'll notice that awareness is absolutely primary. It is as natural as breathing. Some would say this is your true nature, this pure awareness. Some would say that this awareness that you are, this is different ways of talking about it, is unconditioned. It doesn't depend on circumstances. It's unborn, doesn't isn't born or dies. It's just it's what you are beyond all your, your name, your form, your roles, your, your size, your shape, your religion, your um, gender, any of that. It's just... So it's considered, what some would call this the Buddha. Buddha doesn't mean uh, a person. I mean, of course, this one person was referred to as the Buddha. But Buddha means awake, aware. So that's why the Buddha actually suggested that we take three that we go t- to three different places for uh, a reliable refuge. Because we're all looking for a refuge. Wouldn't you say? Anybody here not looking for a place to, to rest, a place that is safe, a place that is that you can rely on. I think it drives so much of our compulsion is to find relief. The Buddha suggested three Ways of finding relief, or three places to go to. First one was the Buddha, which means that to be awake, be aware. So absolutely primary. Although it's primary, it has, um, it is easily clouded, just like the sky, is, is is primary. sky is this vast openness, same with your mind. But the sky sometimes becomes obscured by clouds, by, uh, by weather. You can't really see the sky so clearly. Well, our, this natural state of being aware gets obscured by, uh, by these, those forces I talked about, greed, hatred and delusion. They're called. They're considered unwholesome because they make our lives a little more rough when we're caught up in them. And there's one little aspect of awareness that gets that gets um, that loses its its frequency and loses its value when we get so caught up in trying to get somewhere other than where we are. And that's the quality what the Buddha called sati or mindfulness, mindfulness and clear comprehension. So this these this quality of mindfulness and clear comprehension, it's an aspect of awareness. It says, I know that I'm sitting here right now. I know that I know that my mood is, is light or it's heavy. I know that I'm listening to someone. This it's that simple. It's knowing what you're doing when you're doing it, knowing what's happening. And, th- and that can become much, much more subtle. So when that when that little factor of part of our mind that clearly comprehends what's going on is present. Everything that is going on is very workable. Do you know what I mean by that? It's workable. I can work with this situation. I, I see it the way it is. I'm in this room. I've got this mood. Okay, I, I've, got, uh, I've got this condition of my body, this condition of my Okay, let me just notice this. I can work with it. When I'm oblivious to what's going on, I'm just carried along by, by the winds of circumstances. I'm, I get lost in, when mindfulness isn't there, when the clouds, when the storm is, when I'm bound up in the storm. I, um, I can literally wander for days, disconnected from just clear mindful attention. I can wander a long time living in a whole imaginary version of myself. <laughs> I call it the virtual me. Who I am, how I compare, always measuring. Any of you ever do that? Comparing, analyzing, inter- Just a running commentary and kind of living in that. And then living in the imagined pa- past and future. Again, these places don't even exist, except as thoughts in the present moment. But we only get lost in that when there is the absence of awareness, when it's gotten obscured. So what we're doing here is we're encouraging this simple factor, called a mental factor, called mindfulness and clear comprehension, so that we can actually know what we're doing. We can actually see our mind when it's doing that. We can know that there's a difference, a difference between that version of ourselves that plays in our mind and who we actually are here which is not so easily describable. What can you say about yourself right now? As, as one teacher put it on present evidence, what can you say? Except I'm here. How does this fit with that little story that says, I'm not good enough, I'm not this, I'm not that, I, I need to be the other. That's the, f- that's what, uh, that one doesn't really even exist. It's the imaginary version, it's the psychological version. It's one that we actually have to deal with and p- and pay attention to, but it can't capture you. The only one that can capture you is the one that you've experienced directly here and now. So we try to see the difference between that that little virtual version. We try to wake up and notice, oh, that's the story of me, that's not me. And then we try to really discover and embrace and get used to stabilize the sense of ourselves beyond the story which is just being awake so the Buddha said be awake take that as your refuge be aware discover what you what you are in the immediate sense totally appreciate your story and your history and and the magic of your of your uh, of your unique expression of life your life story but don't miss the reality of your life right here. Second thing, take refuge in the Buddha or being awake, take refuge in what he called the dharma. And uh, the dharma is sometimes talked about as the teachings, things that point us to the 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 way that it's wise to live and the qualities that that can grow in our hearts and what happens when you when you nurture wholesome qualities, what happens when you nurture unwholesome qualities learning the power of generosity and patience and wisdom and all of that. That's the teachings. But the Dharma, taking refuge in the Dharma is, and this is so rare for us, is taking refuge in the truth of how things are, the way things are. And that's maybe in general, philosophical, but it's much more immediate. How are things right now? Again, I'm saying this over and over again. How are things right now in this moment? Not my thoughts about them, but what's actually happening? What's entering what are called the doors of perception right now? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I smelling? What am I tasting? What am I uh, feeling? Uh, What am I thinking? That's all. Can Can we find some anchor, some kind of orientation to the reality that there's just really six experiences ever happening? It's so easily missed that there's just seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. <laughs> so the practice asks us to, to wake up out of the, just the story of our life and feel the reality of it. So that's taking refuge in the Dharma. And then last is called ref, refuge in the Sangha. And traditionally the Sangha was those who have practiced, have realized the fruits of practice, and have shared their compassion and their teachings for for 2500 years or more and we can we can go to gain support from all of that that stream of teaching that still exists here alive at Spirit Rock today but more importantly sangha is a community it's being sensitive to the community that we live in the community of of here today the of fellow yogis you're called yogis the community of beings, the the ant, the being creatures of the air, the sea, the water, the I mean the the earth, all the all the beings that we share with this is our community, and this is a reminder that everything that you can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch, all beings, all all beings are our community, and to draw refuge in this, and why do we want to draw refuge in this? Because this is who we're we are related to each other. We don't really exist independently apart from each other. Easy to forget when we're noodling in our, um, in our virtual me. We can miss the amazing connection that happens when we feel ourselves, uh, when we let ourselves be touched by life right, right where it's touching us, right in this moment. And feel the, the kinship of beings around us. If you, do, if you can't feel a sense of connection to the people in this room today, at some point in the span of the day, you're, it's likely that you are, um, that your mind is in that cloud of, of separation, which it happens, and w- that's most of our conditioning. <coughs> the good news is that we use that conditioning. We use when, oh, I feel so cut off from everybody here. I'm the one wave that's gotten separated from the ocean. We use that very feeling as our way back, as our way to connection again. Then we realize if you really feel how disconnected, then you start to know, oh, other people feel disconnected too. And it actually opens our heart. But then if you start think, if you just go off in the, in the noodle, oh, I'm feeling disconnected. I'm the only one disconnected here. Everybody else is getting enlightened and I'm here miserable and hating everyone. That's the, then we've disconnected from reality. But once we notice that, oh, there I am running the, the poor me, the separate, isolated, not enough story, and we start to get some space around that. And we then reorient ourselves slowly, slowly to just here in the room. So these three refuges, being aware, <coughs> refuge in what's actually happening, and the sense of your connection to the surroundings and the other, especially your fellow practitioners today, uh, can be a great support. And finally, just uh, the Buddha suggested there is no, no better way, I think, and I'll try to find it here before we sit again. He said there's no, there is no better way to um, bring calm to the restless heart or ease your, ease your weary mind uh, than putting your mind in your body. I'll read a short sutra from the Buddha, sutra teaching, and it's from the teachings called the Anguttara Nikaya, which are the numbered teachings of the Buddha. So they're pretty, sh- they're pretty short, and they're not too <laughs> elaborate. I'll just read half of it here. Even as one who encompasses with his mind the mighty ocean includes thereby all the rivulets that run into the ocean, just so, O monks, whoever develops and cultivates mindfulness directed to the body, includes thereby all the wholesome states that partake of supreme knowledge. One thing, O monks, if developed and cultivated, leads to a strong sense of urgency— to great benefit, to great security from bondage, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to the attainment of vision and knowledge, to a pleasant dwelling in this very life, to the realization of the fruit of knowledge and liberation. What is that one thing? It's mindfulness directed to the body. If one thing, O monks, is developed and cultivated, the body is calmed, mind is calmed, discursive thoughts are quieted, And all wholesome states that partake of supreme knowledge reach fullness of development. What is that one thing? It's mindfulness directed to the body. If one thing, O monks, is developed and cultivated, ignorance is abandoned. Supreme knowledge arises. The delusion of self, that's what I was just talking about, is given up. The underlying tendencies are eliminated. The fetters are discarded. That's too long a conversation to get into right now. What is that one thing? It is mindfulness directed to the body. So that's primarily what we'll be doing today, but it will go on. I I will share essentially the teachings that the Buddha offered on uh, on four basic areas to pay attention to uh, that otherwise known as the Satipatthana Sutra, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, that these four domains of, of attention are um, are sure um, are reliable uh, supports for calming the restless mind. And first and foremost, the first foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness directed to the body. So I'd like to invite all of you to do a little stretch first. Stand up, preferably stay in the room if you can. Refresh yourself for a moment, and then we'll have a. Now they're sitting, and then I'll give the walking instructions. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit DharmaSed.org slash donate.